Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Inside Clemson Football with LeVon Kirkland. I'm Will Vandervoort. We're back, and we're back and ready to talk about the NFL Draft. As Clemson has five players that could be selected in this weekend's draft, which begins on Thursday night. Of course, it all begins with Trevor Lawrence. The former Clemson quarterback is expected to be the number one overall pick by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Me and LeVon will talk about that. We'll talk about Travis Etienne, where we think he might fall. We'll also talk about Amari Rogers and where he could go in Cornell Powell and Jackson Carmen as well, as Clemson looks to have a pretty good first couple of days in the NFL draft. We'll also discuss spring football. That's right. There's still spring football going on in college football. Clemson wrapped up their spring football a few weeks ago with the orange and white game. Me and LeVon will talk about that. We'll review the game. We'll view what we learned from the spring and what we expect out of the Tigers as they get ready for this college football season. Um, we'll have a whole, we'll have that and a whole bunch more um, on Inside Clemson Football with LeVon Kirkland. But before we do all of that, let me tell you about our sponsor at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports actions. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head to the website BetOnline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's BetOnline, your online sports book experts. All right, now welcome in uh, the star of the show, LeVon Kirkland. LeVon, it's been a while, man. I know we've both been swamped and busy. How how things with you, man? They're swamped and busy, <laughs> as you said before. There's a lot going on on this side of the planet, and it's been crucial. So, yeah, it's a lot going on, but I'm really happy that we're back on. Now, lots happened since um, last time me and you got together. It was about, I guess, about three or four weeks ago. Um uh, you know, first of all, we'll go ahead and throw it out there. The news of Deshaun Watson that that's that that came out uh, just after we got done um, with our last show. Um, wanted to kind of get your reaction to that. Um, just you know, I know there's a lot of things obviously we don't know, and it's a pending investigation and all that stuff. But man, you got to be as surprised as I am just to kind of hear some of the stuff that's going on with that case, don't you? Yeah, you, you got to be surprised because how he represented himself is totally different than what you're hearing at this point in time. It would probably be the last thing that you would ever uh, expect from someone of his caliber. But the goes to show that, you know, a lot of times you really don't know people. And I also want to make sure that the facts are really not out yet. So you don't know. And I know that as Clemson fans, we may think a certain way. Other fan bases may think a certain way. And, you know, my thing is when it comes to someone being abused or being assaulted, you you know, you really have to listen to what they say. You have to be sensitive to what they say. But on the flip side, too, you know, you also have to wonder what's going on with Deshaun Watson. What's his story? Mm -hmm. And, I think that a lot of times we tend to jump to conclusions when we hear things like this. But uh, from my perspective, I just want to wait and see what comes out. And hopefully the truth comes out. And that's all you can ask for. 
Yeah, and anytime in these situations, somebody always will ask me, "What do you thought?" Because they, you know, they know we covered them, and so they'll say, "What do you think?" What do you, you know? And I say, "Look, all I know is the Deshaun that I covered um, the three years, and he seemed like a very nice young man, very well spoken, educated, um, and uh, was always courteous and stuff to anybody or everybody, including myself, that I ever saw." So. That's all I can speak to because that's all I know. And so your your point's valid. Like you can't really comment on things that you not you don't know what all the facts are or what's going on. And and you also don't want to take anything away from the the people, the the accusers, you know, because we don't know what the story is. And so you don't want to make it seem like they're not important either. So my whole thing I always say to everybody is I just pray for everybody involved. Everybody. Mm-hmm. That because that's really all we can do. And you just hope that whatever it is, is, is what, um, is what comes out at the end and that everybody that it's a situation, maybe a lot of us can learn from or something, you know, you got to find the positives and things like this. And you, and I always say the best way to do it is just you go pray about it. And, um, and then you just uh, pray for everybody because somebody's going to be affected one way or the other. And that's the sad situation of it all. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think a lot of times we just, you know, when someone is successful like that, and especially in his position, you know, we we just tend to think the best, and we we see him in a position on high, and that's a lot of people that we look, you know, we look on and we love what they do. We tend to think of them on a higher level. We don't really know them at all. We just love their talent and we love what they do. And but also, you know, I have four sisters as well. And now I know that if anybody abused them or anybody that I know, that would be tough. So I think it's a situation where it's really tough, especially guys like us who have covered him or talked about him. It's, it's a tough deal. But, you know, like I said, the truth is going to come out. Hopefully the truth comes out and we can get it squared away. Well, there's also a lot of other things to talk about. Um, we'll talk about the good stuff, right? I mean, let's um, let's yeah, talk let's about some good, some good things. Um, you know, uh, Clemson wrapped up spring practice um, uh, a couple weeks back. Uh, a lot of stuff came out of that. Uh, I'm sure you watched the orange and white game, did you not? I watched some of it, yes. Okay. And so um, what's some just raw – I'm asking you right off the top of your head, some raw thoughts from, from what you saw uh, in the spring game. I'm going to tell you, man, I really, when I think about spring games, I don't put that much into it because I know that as, you know, the guys that you know that are starters are probably not playing their best football at that point in time. You know, it's, it's it's spring ball. And from my experience, and I'm only counting my experience, you're ready to go. You're ready for spring ball to be over with. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I like I like some of the I like some of the freshmen that they have there. I'm gonna tell you who I was really I really enjoyed. Uh, I don't really recall his name, but he's number eight, and he's a defensive lineman mm-hmm. uh, for the white team. Trey Williams, I believe. Who are you talking about? Yeah, I really I was really impressed with him. I think the young running backs are going to be very good. I, I feel that we have a staple of running backs. That man, somebody might be left out of that equation. I, I feel that DJ is going to be. I think DJ is going to be good. I really do. I feel like DJ is a accomplished guy. 
and it's going to be fun watching him during this season. Uh, I'm looking forward to um, Justin Ross coming back as well. So it's a typical spring game. You know, you don't see everything. They're not, <laughs> it's not game plan or anything like that. So, so for me, you know, it's just typical Clemson spring game where, you know, you, you're excited about the, some of the young guys they got. You know, you know my guy. I like, you know, I, I definitely like Shipley. I think he's going to be – I'm interested in seeing what he's going to do as a running back. And, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what they're going to do. I, I really am. But I don't know if anybody just really blew my mind. I, I think a lot of times in a spring game, Maybe nobody really blows your mind. It's just no, it's really true. playing at a certain level that you're just going, wow. But, um, you know, the fall the fall season would show a lot more. And, you know, that first game is going to be the first game. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy but I don't think I really looked that deeply into the spring game. Yeah, some things that – the one thing that stood out to me was just – or a couple of things. The first thing was obviously the amount of playmakers – that are on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Uh, you, you mentioned, like, on defense, you know, Trey Williams, who Dabo mentioned as well, is a guy who had a very good game and a very good spring. And so, uh, you know, then you mentioned, you know, then you talk about the running game, the running backs. There's a staple of running backs, and they all stood out. So that's the thing that stood out to me was the playmakers that, you know, on both sides of the ball that can go up and make plays that are can make game-changing plays. And when I say that, you know, because obviously that's what's important when you talk about playmakers, right, are those game-changing plays. And there was there was plenty of them on, on both sides of the ball that I noticed that just stand out to you that's just like, okay, that guy's going to be a baller. That guy's going to be a player. You know, you can just see it coming. And, and when, the, when I look at the running backs, which you brought brought up, there's a lot of them, and, and, and the two guys that stood out to me were Kobe Pace. First play of the game, boom, he breaks it outside, goes 26 yards. Um, Lynn J. Dixon had a big run, a 20-something-yard run as well. Uh, that was impressive. Um, he only had four carries. You talk about the starters, they get them in and out of there fast, so you don't really see much of them. Um, and then the other freshman, Phil Maffa, uh, the running back, who uh, scored the what turned out to be the winning touchdown but also just the way he ran the ball and how he looked. I mean, LeVon, this guy, he, he reminded me, and I tell people this, you know, the way because how big he is. He's 6'1", 220 pounds. I was like, is that Eric Dickerson back in the backfield back there? Because mm-hmm. that's how big he looks, you know, from a yeah. look standpoint. And I was just like, man, that guy, I mean, he's just huge for a freshman to be that big. And, and, he, and it's a good-looking big. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you can tell it's a – I'm ready to play major college football physicality body that he has. And it's like, you know, he stood out to me a lot. I think he's a guy that really can come on. And Shipley looks physically ready to play too. And um, now the funny thing with him was you could tell all the guys on the white team were not going to let 21 do anything. <laughs> it was right. You could tell their defensive guys were like, yeah, 21, we're not letting him do anything that's going to embarrass us. Uh, so you saw the – Breezy and those guys and Xavier Thomas's make sure they were making plays on 21. It was like they were keyed on him. So I don't think we got to see what he was totally made of. Um, but, uh, you know, the thing that stands out, though, is this, man, there's playmakers. You mentioned Justin Ross is coming back. It's going to be huge at wide receiver. You saw the Collins boys, uh, Bo and Dakari, uh, both make plays in that scrimmage. Um, and that's what it is. Let's call it. It's a, it's a glorified scrimmage. 
Um, and, uh, you know, and of course we know what we get with EJ Williams and those guys, they're just, they're just loaded, man. On the defensive side, I mentioned a couple of guys already, but another guy stood out to me that I thought played well was Tyler Davis. Um, uh, Miles Murphy played well. Um, I thought, uh, so it's good to see those guys that are going to Those guys be, don't count. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's good to see those guys though, kind of like making plays though, right? Because they're, you're right. They don't count. They're not the new guys, but you know, they, they have to take it to another level and they're kind of showing that a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you like seeing them do that. And um, a guy who I think is going to be good, really good. And I was impressed with what I did see of him was Jeremiah Trotter. Uh, the the uh, hammer. The, yeah. The hammer son. And, um, and Wiggins, the freshman corner who almost had a pick six. Um, I was impressed with him. Yes. Uh, he, did you, did you see the tackle, how he came up and filled the hole and, and made that yeah. nice one-on-one tackle there? Like if he doesn't make it, that's a big play. That's good to see. A guy, not a, a DB, not afraid to go make a play. And he he looks really, for me, what I saw on television, he seems like a, a pretty big kid to play that position. You're always looking for a guy who's within that 5'11", 6'2", cornerbacks because those guys are they're, – normally they're able to handle the tall guys who are 6'4". So uh, normally those guys are willing yeah, to make two, time. 175. Yeah. So – I mean, he's a he's just he just got out of high school, so you can imagine just probably over the summer the growth that he's going to have physically, and then mentally, I'm sure that that will come along as well. So, yeah, I was really impressed with him. I forgot to mention him. So, yeah, Clemson is is Clemson right now. You know, they got the five stars. They got the guys who can do it. It's just a matter of them really being able mentally and emotionally to go through the season to get back to that championship game. And, and I think that's what it's all about. At this point in time with Clemson University, it, it's more than the ACC championship. It's more than just having a good team years, 10 wins. It's about having that opportunity to play for the championship. And they have a team that I think is going to do that. As long as their offensive line is up to the task, if those guys are up to the task, then I, I see this team going all the way. Yeah, the, the one caveat that could slow things down, and it's the number one thing that came out of that, was Tyson Pupachon uh, tore his Achilles. He's out probably till October, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting back at the earliest, and uh, usually that's a you know six to eight month recovery. Um, so being that he's an athlete, probably more on the six month end. That's why I'm thinking more around October, right? So, um, so the interesting thing with that is, you know. Right now, they only got one scholarship – excuse me. Yeah, one scholarship quarterback right now on the roster, and that's DJ. Um, so, the backup is a walk-on and Hunter Helms right now. They got two scholarship kids coming in. However, there's a caveat to that. Um, one of the kids uh, is a uh, big-time baseball recruit as well. And mm-hmm. he's um, he, he's coming to Clemson. He's signed. He's going to play baseball and football. There's – Will Taylor, the other young man behind him, is going to do the same thing. Um, but the difference is Taylor's probably not going to be drafted, um, at least not high enough to where it's going to amount to any kind of money that's going to keep him from coming to college. Um, the other young man, uh, Chandler, he, he's, got, uh, he's got a decision to make because he, he could be a first-round pick. And here's the difference, and a lot of people don't understand this, with baseball as opposed to football and basketball. Baseball – you get to negotiate 
your money of what you want before you're drafted. So you mm-hmm. could talk to teams and get an idea of what they're thinking, what, and you can throw out how much money you want that's going to keep you, that's going to say, okay, if I get this guaranteed money, I'm going to go ahead and go pro. You can't do that, obviously, in, in, in football and stuff. So if you hear his name called out, then guess what? He ain't coming to Clemson and Bubba Chandler. If you hear his name called out in that first round or that second round, odds are he's not coming to Clemson because that means he's already negotiated the money because they're not even going to draft him if they're not going to get – they're not going to be able to come to an agreement, right? So, right. Um, so that's the thing with him is like, okay, if he gets enough money, does he make that decision to say, okay, this is enough for me, I'm going to go play professional baseball, or it's not enough, I'm going to go play college football and college baseball. Um and that's a big deal, LeVon, because if he doesn't come, this is a guy they were hoping would come in and could right away compete as the backup quarterback, wow. right? And and now if he doesn't come and you've lost Tyshawn also, now all of a sudden you you got two guys that you were counting on to be your – to compete for a backup job that aren't there, and now you only got one that's on scholarship. So what are you going to have to do, LeVon? You're going to have to probably go to the transfer portal, right? And yeah, I was going to say that. Th- that's going to be a whole different beast because of what Clemson, want, knowing who they got, re- have already recruited, who's already committed to Clemson, knowing the other kid that's there already. You got all those intangibles that go, and you got to maybe jump into the transfer portal and try to find a veteran football player. But yeah, well, but how many veteran football players are going to go into the transfer portal to be a most likely a backup quarterback? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. You know, I think that's the question. Are you going to find a lot of quality guys that are okay with being the backup guy? Especially guys who started before. Normally, I would think that the transfer portal is about guys going in and getting the opportunity to play. So that would be interesting if they go to the transfer portal, are they going to find a guy that's going to back up DJ? Uh, I would like to see the spin on that one. How, how would you sell that? opportunity hey we want you to come in as a as a quality backup because we already got our started i think that'd be interesting i think but i always tell guys this you never never know only one play you're one play away from being the guy Mm -hmm. so in a lot of instances i know most guys may say i don't know about that situation but it could be for other guys interesting you know, it could be an interesting situation where you're like, you know what? Maybe I go in. You never know. I just, yeah, I do my work and we see what happens. So I can see it both ways. I really can. But I, I imagine initially most <laughs> most quarterbacks may not look at the big picture that way. If they want to go somewhere that they're going to have a chance to be a starter. Yeah, I think if you're Clemson, what you have to do, and then this is just, now this is just me. This isn't. Dabo or anybody else telling me anything. This is just my thought process. If you're Clemson, you know, you want to go get a guy, I think, that is already maybe graduated. He's already kind of knows where his limitations are, yet he played college football. He played in some big games. He played at a big school. Maybe he's already started working. Like, you know, he's got his degree and he maybe started working towards his degree, but you know, you come knocking on his door and say, hey, look, I know you, you know, you're doing this and you're starting this, but hey, would you be interested in, you know, coming to being our backup? 
And, you know, we got think we got a chance to win the national championship this year. You can come here and win a national championship and get all experience, all that. That's that's really the only guy I think they're going to entice, because I agree with you on everything you said. Like, you're not going to want to go a guy who's in the transfer portal, who's a um, maybe got two years to go. Right. He's not going to want to come to Clemson because DJ is going to be here for two years. He knows he ain't going to get to play. He doesn't want to be the backup. You know, um, if you get a guy who's got one year left, but he just left, say, uh, uh, you know, I'm just going to throw a team out there. But let's say he left like a Georgia or Ohio State, right? right. He probably wants to leave to do like Joe Burrow did, kind of maybe make a name for himself, right, and get himself into the draft. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's the, there's only a few people that, that, that fit that, what I described. And you got to go find that diamond in the rough, if you will. I'm sure there's a guy out there. But you got to go find them, and it's not easy, and it's not a guaranteed sell because they may be like, you know what, I'm kind of done with school. I really want to get back into it again. You know, yeah, this right. sounds great, but do I really want to deal with all that and have to go to workouts and classes and all that stuff? Uh, you know, it, it's a tough deal. It's kind of like Clemson has built their their program as far as just really just recruiting, and it's kind of like a team that builds their team off the draft. Now something happens. Now you got to go free agency. Mm-hmm. You got to go transfer portal. And you're like, this is something very new for us because our, our MO has always been that we, we go through recruiting. We get our guys and we build through recruiting. Now you may have, a, you may have to take a chance on, you know, you cross your fingers that nothing happens to DJ, but you got to think of, it's a possibility something could happen to him. Mm-hmm. So who do we bring in? You know, who do we bring in that's going to be a solid backup for us? So to me, that's interesting. But who's the guy who wants to come in there last year to be a, a solid backup? You know, I don't think that that's not many guys not. that are okay with being a solid backup, you know? No, it's, it's not like the NFL where they're making, you know, a million dollars to hold a clipboard. It's t- you know, it's a, it's a little Which bit is different. the best job in the NFL <laughs> besides being a punter, the backup quarterback. Now, that's interesting. You, you said the backup, the, the punter is the next best job, right? So you said the kicker is not? Not nah, because, you know, this is – if a kicker is inconsistent, then he's out of there. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing about, thing about being a kicker. Now, if you're very consistent in making field goals, you can have some longevity. But if you're a kicker that's a little bit mm, all over the place, then that's that job is always <laughs> you're one kick away from being on the streets. <laughs> but a punter, if a punter, I always say this: if a punter can get it where you're down the ball between the, the twenty and the ten or so, you're good. And especially, I, I tell a lot of guys this too: long snapper is not a bad job where. You can last forever if mm-hmm. you're a very, but you have to be a very consistent long snapper. If you if you get some skipping on the ground, the grass, then the next day you're out of there. But if you can put it between the hands, you're good to go. You can play for 20 years. Yeah, and, and Levando, you better be good because that's all you do. You know, <laughs> you know now that's all you do. You know, yeah. one point in time that our long snapper would do like scout team stuff and. You know, he would contribute in other ways. Now, and they would also get hit. So mm-hmm. 
doing a field goal or something like that, you can blow them up. Nowadays, you can't do that. So especially nowadays, being a long snapper is not a bad idea. So if you're a linebacker, that's kind of okay. But if you can snap the ball, it could be a good gig for you. Yeah, why not do it? Yeah, nobody believes me, though. Everybody's (laughs) like, "Eh, whatever. Nobody thinks about being a long snapper. Hey, look, uh, the you know what the minimum pay in the NFL is right now? It's a whole lot more than a lot of people else are making. $662,000 a year. Yeah. I think I'd be a long snapper for that. Yeah, you can do that job for 20 years. Because you, you know what? You're not going to practice. You're, so you're not going to get banged up at all. Mm. You just got to be in really good shape. And you have a specialty, which is snapping the ball. That, I mean... Seriously, you can play forever. I was telling that to some of the kickers and punters when I was um, at Clemson one time, and they were just like, hmm. <laughs> I was like, I'm telling you, you can play for a long time. Yeah. Well, you remember um, Chris Gerdaki, right? I mean, he, mm-hmm. he played with you at Clemson. He left before you did. Right. He didn't finish his career to 2007. Yeah. You know, I mean, and he could do both, and he could do both. He's one and of the best. One step kicker, even better, even better. He had two punts. No, he had one punt blocked his entire career in the pros and college. Can you guess when it was? I don't remember it being blocked at Clemson. You sure? I'm trying to think. Well, since you said it that way, I'm guessing it is at Clemson, but I don't remember it getting blocked. When was it? Tell me. 1990 game against South Carolina. He got yeah, blocked. blocked. Yeah, really? he got blocked. Yep. The only it had, time to, be, it had to be somebody up front, man. It, was it was it um off the, was it uh, in the middle of the field? Did somebody come through the middle? I think so. I think so. I'm trying to yeah, remember. I would think that his, his style of kicking it would be very hard for somebody on the outside to come and block. There. Yeah, I think it was somebody up the middle that did it. I think it was a breakdown. But yeah, that was the only time his entire career he had a punt blocked in in, wow. the, in in pros or college. That's crazy, is it not? I thought he was just the the best kicker I've ever seen in my life, and I love Treadwell. Yeah. I thought Treadwell was the man, but Kadaki was. I think Kadaki was a step above. He mm-hmm. really was. Yeah. Yeah, Kadaki. Um, he could just. He can hit him from anywhere. Now, he wasn't as accurate as David was, especially early in his career. You know, David right. was always accurate, and that was the thing. But David didn't have the leg Gerdaki had, not even close. He didn't have the leg, but, boy, if you needed a field goal to win the, win the game, Treadwell was your man. And I remember asking Treadwell, why was he so good at it? And he told me it was this visual. He just visualized the, the ball going in. He just said, I just visualized it being good. I was like, wow, okay. I didn't know that. But uh, he was a very smart guy, so I can see that happening to him. But, yeah, Tread, man, Tread would make that field goal. One of my favorite plays is still the Georgia down there in Athens. I think it was um, 86. Yeah. But he nailed like a 48-yard. That's still one of my favorite plays to look at. That's money. Think about it. That is money. Dude, it was right down the middle, too. I mean, it wasn't I mean, it even was down the middle. It's a, it was a long field goal. It was a hot day. It was against a quality opponent. And to hit that, man, that was amazing. It, it was, and there was no overtime back then. So if you don't make no it, overtime. it's a tie. Yeah. You know? and, so I and, thought that was great. No, I'm with you. Mr. Clutch is what he was known. I think he made 
I'm trying to remember the stat Tim Beret had. Um, he had like um, I want to say he was like he made like 10, 10 or eleven game winning field goals in the last two minutes of a game. I mean that's just that's just that's just a Clemson. He did that in the NFL too, but that was just a Clemson. You know, yeah, that's he was a lot. Cool. Hey, he was cool under pressure though. It, it didn't really phase him. You know, like some kickers are some people they really under the pressure, they're not very good. Mm-hmm. This guy was extremely good under pressure. Really he was. Good. Did you by the way, speaking of guys making big kicks, you see that fifty four yard field goal BT Potter hitting that's that scrimmage. BT got a he this kid, he got he has tremendous potential. Oh my god. I can god. see him being in the NFL for a long time. I really can. I think so too. I think he's one of the most underrated kickers in college football because Clemson wins by so many points. So people just kind of take him for granted. But right. this kid is accurate and he's got a leg on him that's unbelievable. I mean, he could have made that kick from 64 yards. I mean, it was uh-huh. so, and he's kicking into a wind. Yeah. And you can see, and also too, he's a little bit more mature. I think beforehand, uh, his maturity level wasn't quite there. Mm-hmm. Now he's been there for a long time. He has the ability. So I can see him being in the NFL and playing for quite some time. Yeah, same here. You mentioned – I want to get your thoughts on this because we talked about the transfer portal a little bit just a little while ago. One of the things, you know, it was just put out this week um, that the uh, – this past week that the one-year rule is now in effect. Now, basketball kind of already started because I knew this rule was going to go into effect. And so you saw this massive amount of young men leaving their school. I don't know what the number is, but it's like the highest it's ever been by a bunch in the transfer portal at one time. And all because they knew the one-year rule. So they knew they, they could do – and what we mean by the one-year rule is if a freshman comes in and he's not happy or whatever the reason being, sort of like um, Omax did at Clemson, he can put himself in the transfer portal and next year can go play wherever he's going to go. And Omax, by the way, is going to go to Marquette, is what he said. So he'll be able to play, eligible to play next year. He doesn't have to sit and wait. Well, all these people are jumping in. And now, LeVon, the NCAA passed that the one-year rule now is going to apply to football. And um, uh, it's going to be football, men's basketball, women's basketball, and baseball. And so I just want to get your thoughts on there's two, there's two rules of thumb here. A, I understand it, it is good for a player to have more options and choices, sort of like free agency we talked about there. That's a good thing. However, I think also playing with the players that I'm worried about, my concern, and you can tell me if you agree with me or not, I'm worried about the best interest of the player because I remember when I was 18 years old and I was an idiot <laughs> to some things, right? And yeah. I would I would make some decisions now. I look back as an older man and I look back and say, that was probably pretty stupid that I did that, you know? And mm-hmm. and then you kind of have regret or whatever. And that's what I'm afraid of for some of these young men that, you know, they're just kind of, oh, it's cool to get in the transfer portal, but they don't really realize what they're doing. And they're not getting in situations where the grass is always greener on the other side. Am I, you know, you see where I'm going? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think it's really up to the universities and especially their parents to educate the kid on what happens to the transfer portal especially with the new rule that's going to be in place now. So this decision is not like it was before where you make this decision. Now you're going to play right away, which was appealing for the transfer portal. I get it. You know, like, Hey, you're not getting any playing time. 
you want some playing time and you're going to instantly play on the field. I could understand why a young man say, hey, you know, I'm out of here. Now it gives them a somewhat of a pause because so much can happen between that one year. So much growth can happen between that one year. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it, I don't know, some people will argue that uh, let the kid play, let the kid do, you know, he knows what he's doing. Then on the other hand, it gives the kid maybe a chance to mature at his university and say, you know what, okay, I'm going to stick it here. Um, There's some things that I need to do to develop as well. Sometimes going somewhere new and you're still not developed or not mature to handle that situation, that means it's going to be a lot of idle time for you. You're going to have one year where you're not playing, you're not doing what you want to do, you're practicing at a school that you're new to, and maybe it's not the best choice for you. Now you're at another university, and that grass is not as green. So I I think, honestly, it's really making sure that you educate the student athlete on what's the possibilities of that. Mm-hmm. Give him a chance to really look over it and say, okay, I'm going to make my decision according to this now. Instead of making what you don't want is an emotional decision that could change your life for the worse. Or, you know, then on the other hand, it could be very good if you can make a choice where now you know what really happens in the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing making sure that these kids understand what the transfer portal is all about instead of just saying, and I'm not saying that kids have done this, but I think it's a big decision to commit to one school. Okay. You're not happy. It's not going the way you want it to go or whatever reason the coach is a jerk, blah, 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 blah. You know, I still think it's a big decision to make to say like, okay, I'm going to jump to another school. Mm-hmm. And that's in any school that's out there. So I, I think that, we have to make sure these young men or young women are are aware what happens in the transfer portal. Yeah, and the thing that worries me is um, when you transfer, you know, what, what I don't think is being relayed enough because you hear the media, well, you know, they have the right. If they want to transfer, they should get to play the next year. And they're right. That's I'm not saying they're not. However, I always try to put myself in the, okay, let's take away the – athlete part of it and let's put the student part of it in there it's like okay they're going to school to get an education which should be more important than playing ball because as you and i both know the chances of playing ball are slim for most everybody that goes to college to play athletics and so the majority of you way more than majority are never going to play pro sports they're not good enough they're not going to be good enough however we need to tell them that and I think it needs to be relayed to those to say, hey, look, you can leave and go someplace else. But if you're leaving because you think you're going to have an opportunity, you know, to be a star and go play in the NBA or whatever, you know, you need to think, think harder because you need to think about your education. Because when you transfer, every time you transfer, it makes it harder to graduate because not every school has the same requirements. And so what you took at Clemson may not have been used, may not be able to use at another school. So it, the, could hurt, it could hurt your eligibility. It could hurt. And that's what I mean by educating the student on what could really actually happen, not just from an athletic standpoint, like you stated before, mm-hmm. but also from an academic standpoint, uh, what's, how it's going to affect you as a student. 
So you make a, a valid point there that I think you have to, as my father used to say, you have to count the cost. Mm-hmm. You know, understand what's going to happen to you if you make this decision. And it is their decision. It is. But you'd rather have an informed decision than a decision that I just don't like the coach or it's just not going my way. I hate this school. You want to make sure you're making an informed decision. Because, LeVon, right, we both know you're going to get out in the real world and you're going to have a job or a coach or something where you're getting paid and you ain't going to like them. And you know what? You have to suck it up. <laughs> you got to yeah. do what they do. If you don't, I there's the leave. door. <laughs> you know? yeah, it's going to be one way or the other, you know. Yeah. It all depends on what you want to do. But, yeah, you can always – that situation is always going to occur. Yeah. Where a lot of times you, you don't feel like it. You know, you don't, you don't like the environment, but – Sometimes that point, you just have to, you just have yeah. to do what you need to do. Exactly. And so, and that's, so that's, that's what I mean when I talk about this, the student athletes well-being. you know, yeah. like you said, they need to be totally informed. They need to know all the consequences. They need to know the good side and the bad side of, of what the transfer portal and the transfer could do for them. Um, because it's not all peaches and cream. It's not. Yeah. And they're unfortunately, and I was talking to some people, I did a story that's on our website, the Clemson insider, I was talking to some people about the craziness that's going on in the transfer portal right now with men's basketball. Right. And I was told they're like, will there's going to be kids a that are not going to be able to sign with anybody. So they're going to leave a scholarship that they have right now that's paying for their college education. And they're not going to be able to sign with anybody. They may be preferred walk on. They may get a walk on opportunity or they may not get nothing. Then there's other kids that say, because you got, where the ACC and other conferences have said, hey, it's okay now if, you know, if Joe Blow wants to go transfer to from Clemson to the University of North Carolina as a conference, we're okay with that now. So when you had in the transfer before, right, a mid-major kid who just say he – his first couple of years he kind of progressed and he, 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 he wasn't as good as a freshman, but by the time he was a junior, he's a pretty darn good – probably a power five player, right? So he says, I'm going to test my opportunity over there so I can get a better shot at the NBA because get more people looking at me. So he transfers right to – or wants to transfer. So he enters the transfer portal thinking, I'm going to get a shot to go to a Duke or North Carolina or, or Clemson or whoever, right? Well, now because of the new rules within these conferences that you can go wherever you want to, it doesn't matter, those opportunities for those guys are now gone because now you got guys just changing teams within the conference – so those major power five guys, that opportunity that was there for them is no longer there. Not as many opportunities are there for them. So now what do they do? Well, they can't go back to their other school because their other school's already filled the scholarship, right? So right. they're sitting in the portal, and they Levant, they may have to go to a lower – so they may have to go from playing at Marquette to go playing, and no disrespect here, to go play at Charleston Southern, mm-hmm. you know, instead of getting to play in the ACC or the Big Ten or something like that. That's what's happening here because it's just a free-for-all, man. It's just a free-for-all. All these people just entering the transfer portal like it's nothing. There's no consequences. And, it, and the NCAA is not doing anything about it. And that's why I think the parents, you will hope that the parents are a little bit more aware as well mm-hmm. because the parents may have a little bit more influence than maybe a recruiter or a coach at that time. So I, I think it's also, you know, parents have to be aware of where, their kid is going to, is that the right place? And I want to ask you too, do they get a chance to visit that school 
before they go to the transfer portal? How does that work? So the way the transfer portal So if I go to the transfer portal, do I get a chance to examine that school before I even make a decision to go which school I'm going to? Mm-mm. See, so, I, think that's, so, I think that's a factor as well. Yeah, see, because right now the way the NCAA rules work, a school cannot contact you until you have put your name officially in the transfer portal. So, so if Clemson wants this kid, they, they, they have to wait till he puts his name in. They can't talk to him because that's tampering. And if it's tampering, there's violations and stuff like that that will go on top of it. So schools have to wait until a certain kid gets in there, and then they can go speak to him. Now, a lot of cases, the, the way it works, at least, I, you know, I don't – football It's new to the football right now. But in basketball, what they've done, they, this has been an issue not to this extent, but they've had to deal with it a lot longer than football coaches have. They um, – what they've been doing is they generally go, they pay attention to see, okay, is this a kid that we recruited a few years ago? And so if we recruited him come out of high school and we were in his top two, we got a chance to get him to come back. So that's kind of where they first go. They first look at those kids and go down that way. Um, so to answer your question, though, no, they, the kid puts his name in the transfer portal. And at that point he then becomes um, a recruit again, and then can be pursued as a recruit the same way, so he can go on official visits and things of that nature. Man, what was that? What was that? I know in Superman, they used to call that the Phantom Zone. Mm-hmm. So if you get in the transfer portal, portal, you're basically the Phantom Zone. That's correct. Like, that's a great you analogy, know man. Where you're going. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Wow. Yeah, it, it's a it's a it's an interesting beast. It's 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 part of the things that are going to change college athletics. Another one is obviously the name, image, and likeness. Uh, that's coming in, um, you know, Clemson and, and <laughs> this is the only time you see Clemson and Carolina come together. Right. And when I say Carolina, I mean, South Carolina, Let's, we're both from the, you know, me and you are both understand it. When we say it, there's people out there saying, Oh, North Carolina is Carolina. Mm-hmm. Look, we're from the say South Carolina. When we say Carolina, we mean the people in Columbia, but this is the only time these two schools come together. Right. So Ray Tanner and Dan Radakovich, the AD at South Carolina and Clemson's athletic director, you know, they w- both went to the state house and like, you know, we're pushing like we need to get this bill passed about how the state of South Carolina is going to do the name, image and likeness because Florida is already doing it in June. I think June 1st or maybe July 1st. Um, they're going to start doing it. That's already been passed and approved. And so kids at Miami, you know, Florida State, Florida, Central Florida, they can all start making money off their name now. So yeah. that's, that's a big, on board. Yeah, that's a big deal. And that's a big deal in recruiting. And it's like, they're, you know, so, you know, they Tanner probably should and, have brought Dabo Sweeney and Shane Beamer to that, to that, <laughs> um, <laughs> to, to the house, man, to make sure that they, they understand the, the urgency of this. Yeah, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a game changer. I would think if you're a lawyer or something like that, your marketing team, this is a this could be something good for you. You know, to get kids in to say whatever are uh, from your university marketing standpoint, that could be that could be huge, man. Really I, I, I know Clemson. I can't speak for South Carolina, but I, you know, Florida State announced they have this big marketing team that's ready when it's a, when it June whenever that day is starts. Boom! The players are going to take advantage, be able to take advantage of these opportunities that are going to come for them. No I know about. Clemson has a plan in place similar to what Florida State's doing. Um, I know they're looking at it, but they can't execute it 
until the state of South Carolina approves it because the NCAA is not going to approve it probably till 2023. Right. Yeah. I remember that. Yes. So, and you don't, and, and the thing is Clemson's like in South Carolina, they're like, we don't want to be wait till 2023 because if we do we afford to. Alabama, Florida state, Georgia, North Carolina, all these schools that recruit against you are using it and they're going to be able to use it faster and it's going to hurt you. And so this is a big recruiting tool. And another thing is they got to legislate how the rule, what the rules are, right? Because as you and me both know, there's some people out there that say, Hey, there's some mean, loopholes. I, can pay, I can pay DJ. Hmm. How much can some I pay? Loopholes. Huh? <laughs> some loopholes in there. No question about it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And so they got to get some legislation around that so there's no illegal recruiting. There isn't things going on that are kind of shady. Uh, it's going to be some shady. It's going to be some shadiness going on. You better believe that. Mm-hmm. It's going to be some shadiness going on. No Man. question about it. Your official visit now is going to be able to go to a car dealership and the car dealership will tell you how much they're going to pay you for coming. <laughs> here are some. Here are some of the people that. Here are some of the corporations that you can make money from. Think about it. Yeah. It's crazy, man. And it's good for the student athlete. Glad because it's great for the student athlete. Yeah. It's good for the student athlete. You know, good because they don't get an opportunity to work like like the rest of us. And I get it. But man, it's just like, it's going to be another situation where it's going to change the game, man. Right. I mean, yeah, no question. It's going to change, you know, throughout the history of the histories, it's it's always going to change. Things Mm -hmm. are always going to be, you know, things are always going to have to be adaptable. And no different for college athletes, even though a lot of times, you know, our mindset is uh, you stay with the same school. But that was like the late 80s, early 90s. That's kind of how you thought. No matter if you were playing third spring, you were to stick with that school no matter what. Now it's different. Now yeah. it's different. And guys going to be like, listen, I'm not playing. I'm supposed to be playing. You know, you look at Justin Fields. Justin Fields was like, okay, this is ridiculous. I'm going to another school. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's going to be. I think that changes recruiting on who you recruit, and just the, I mean, just the whole landscape is going to change. So now, kind of like in the NFL football, do you do you get that main guy, and then just another back, you know, just a bunch of backups? Or how do you do it now? Like, how do you evaluate quarterbacks? Because the top guys are going to want to like. I supposed to be playing, so I think that's a question you have too. Mm-hmm. That's why I think the DJ thing with um, what's my guy name that got hurt now it's, it raises an interesting question. Tyson Pupachon. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it. I'm not even trying to pronounce it, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be how you approach recruiting now. Yeah, I was on the I was on a radio show a few weeks back in uh, Alabama, and they asked me. They said. How do you pronounce all these kids' names on this roster, Will? How do you do it? I said, well, I said, the good news is I'm a writer, so I don't have to. (laughs) I just got to learn how to spell it. (laughs) It's the color analyst that's going to have a tough time. (laughs) Exactly. Hey, can I tell you that I did talk to Merle Hodge? You remember who Merle Hodge is? Oh, yeah. Running back for the Steelers. Yeah. One of my favorites. I tell you, man, we talked about, he talked about ETN. For at least about 40 minutes. I mean, call me up and just ask me about this kid. Really? And I saw something that was interesting the other day about, I think it's Phil Sims' son. 
and he was talking about his top five running backs. Mm-hmm. And Travis was, um, you know, of course, number one. Okay. So, you know, this draft, man, I just think that this guy's going to be – he's going to be a steal. Like, whoever gets him, man, they're getting a bona fide running back. And I watch – and I, 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 I intentionally watched his highlights um, yesterday. Man, that kid can do – he can do a whole lot. And what I liked that he did was he ran between the tackles a lot. And, I mean, once he get on the level, I, I mean, the kid can break tackles. He can run through angles, if you know what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. He has where he can – he can hit the ADR. Now, I don't think he is like – he's not going to break your ankles – but he does run in a smooth style that he can make you miss in a lot of ways. He's not a CJ Spiller where, you know, he's going to sit you down and shake you up, but man, he moves. He's really fluid on how he runs the ball. He's a faster Le'Veon Bell. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's not as patient, but boy, he hits it. And if it's the right hole, he seems to hit it on time. And I mean, Merrill Hodge, I don't think Merrill Hodge ever praises a running back the way he praised um, ETN. It was amazing to hear that somebody who actually not only played the sport, but he's analyzed the sport. He really studies the the running back position. And he was just like, by far, this is one of the best running backs uh, that been in draft in a long time. And I'm telling you, a few years ago, he would probably have been number five or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now – because of the emphasis that they put on spreading the ball and passing the ball, he's going to be like drafted like 20th or something like that. That's crazy, right? Yeah, and and, and LeVon, that kind of goes to a little bit of what we were talking about there. Right? That Travis is a guy, even though he had a great career at Clemson, I mean, he, he stuck with it, right? And he didn't um, – he tried to get better. He could have gone pro last year. You know, but he stuck with he he stuck with it an extra year because he knew there were some things he needed to improve on. And what has that done? That's helped helped his grade. It's helped his stock. And he's going to be worst case, worst case, early thirties. You know, in picks, worst case, worst case scenario, he's going to be thirty two or thirty four. Right. Either a very good team is going to be very happy, Mm -hmm. or one of those uh, top five draft teams going to be very happy. Right. I think it's ridiculous if he slips past the first round. Right. If well, I am a, if I'm a, I'm, I'm going to put it out there because we're both, you know, we both like the Steelers. Mm-hmm. If I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers, man, I am pounding the table as a scout for this guy. I am pounding the table because I think, I think this is going to make a big difference. What I'm worried about with the Steelers is they, they need help on the offensive line. And yeah, there's a couple of, there's a couple of guard slash centers that are in there. You know, when you have Marquise Pouncey retire, that's a big loss, and you've got to replace it. And um, you know, well, is there a center in the in the draft? Yeah, well, there's guard slash centers, so they already got a center in place, but they but they need that guard too, and so that's why I said it's a it's a dicey situation for the Steelers because do you take you, a chance on a guard? That's well, be I think you, you a, if the guard is there, like yeah, I think if the guard or center is there, you get them because I think you can get a running back in the second round 
of good to equal value. And, and that's why I think the Steelers, and I hope I'm wrong, LeVon, because you know I would love to see number nine there. So, yeah, they, you know, those, those two guys at North Carolina are pretty good. Those two running backs, if they're, they're there, I know ETN, there's a chance one of those guys could be around still at that point. But so you it's a, a chance, chance to get an all-timer? It's a, say what? You got a chance to get an all-timer. You're going to like, oh, let's, be, uh, let's, let's do a little <laughs> strategy here, and we can get a, you know, we can get a serviceable running back. We can get a big-time running back. Yeah. No, I'm with you 100%, man. I, I want them to get nine. I just don't want to get my hopes up that they're going to get nine. So I'm just like – Oh, yeah. I mean – I'm just saying that in my in – my, you, know, you know, maybe I don't study it enough to know enough. You know, I maybe I don't. But no, I see what they got in running You know more than I do, dude. <laughs> huh? You know more than I do. <laughs> so. uh, I'm, you know, I'm not saying I know more than scouts do, but you know, maybe I'm just looking at it from – and maybe I'm looking at it from a biased standpoint. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking at I'm I'm listening to other people agreeing what we're saying about ETN. It's yeah, not every, just uh it's yeah, not it's not just us. Unfortunately, it's the it's you, you know how the draft is, right? The the draft isn't necessarily this player is better than that player. It comes down to need and value, right? And so, um, the way the draft is stacking up, at least right now, coming into the last couple of weeks. It's like nobody wants to draft a running back. And if they do, the one running back everybody talks about is Najee Harris as the only running back that's going to go in the first round, which to me is ridiculous. But the way the draft is falling with quarterbacks, obviously top-heavy always, wide receivers now because their wide receivers are now the new running backs. Everybody wants a wide receiver. So it's quarterback, wide receiver heavy. And then you got sprinkled in some defensive ends that are always needed. Um, and then some um, some offensive tackles and things. And because of that, it's just pushing the need for running back all the way down, right? So and, Najee Harris is better than Trevor Etienne? That's what most of them are saying, yeah. A lot of them are saying he's going to go they're, first. They're being influenced. That's, that's the, that goes to tell you mm-hmm. in our social environment that we're, we're easily influenced. Absolutely we are. That is – I'm going to tell you what that is. That's national championship. That's Alabama. There's no doubt. Man. Why do you think Mac Jones is you a top can't 10 tell pick? me there is no way that Najee Harris is better than a home run hitter that Travis Etienne is. Don't, you can't tell me. Don't tell me that. You can't because when you look at, okay, did he have a better year last year? Yes, but who had a better career? Travis Etienne had a way Who's better, a better career. player, first and foremost. Yeah, yeah, he's a better player. And not that Najee Harris is not, I mean, Najee I mean, Harris he, is a good player. He's, he's a good player. player. I mean, I'm not going to say he's not a good player. However, you draft him before you draft Travis Etienne? No, I would, I would draft Travis Etienne. You're talking running backs. Yeah. I'm drafting Travis Etienne. There's no doubt who I'm drafting. But, you know, it's like this. I agree with you on the bias. Recency bias is what it's called. Because Mac Jones is not a top 10 quarterback. I'm sorry. He's not. I've watched Mac Jones play. He's a product of the system he played in, which was a system where – he could basically sit back there and pick his nose and wait for a player to come open. Or he could just dump it out to the flats and just give the ball to Smith or whatever and let them do their things or waddle and let them do their things. He's not Joe Burrow where he was running for his life and making just unbelievable, ridiculous plays. He's not, Tra- he's not Trevor Lawrence where, you know, he can just see the field and, and got this zip and this quick release to the ball that just, you know, you can, it sounds like thunders coming out of his hand. 
he doesn't have any of those things, right? I, I don't think Matt Jones is quality of a top ten. I'm not saying he's not a good quarterback. I think he'd be a good NFL quarterback, yeah. I'm not saying that. He's not a franchise quarterback. My thing is, too, if he was such a great quarterback. I mean, was two, I mean, is two of that great of a quarterback? I, I'm just saying, like, I think when I when I look at guys who come in, they start, man, they pop. There's a reason why they're stars, right? Mm-hmm. They don't usually hang on the bench. I, I think you're reaching with Matt Jones. If you're talking about putting him in the top ten, I think you're totally reaching for him. Mm-hmm. Because you're looking at what he did at a place that was full with five stars on top of five stars. And also you, you're looking at the offensive coordinating guy that was just way better than the rest of them. You know, mm-hmm. they just had a lot of talent. And I just don't see him as a top 10. And I know people, and then people try to pull out the Tom Brady thing. Oh my goodness. Please stop with that. <laughs> I mean, this only, you know, a Tom Brady only comes around every once in a while. I don't see that kid being a Tom Brady. No, you know, yeah, Johnny Knight you know, is Tom Brady. People, yeah, it, you know, people, they, they put these labels on guys and they try to make them better than what they are. Yeah, a Tom Brady and comes around And they try to see things years. that they haven't. They try to look so much into the future that has nothing to do with science or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're making... I don't know, man. I don't. I don't see Matt Jones as being in the top ten. But you know what? What do I know? I'm. I'm no. I. I know you know way more than me and most of the people <laughs> do. So um, th- th- I'm with you 100. percent I don't see it. You know, and you know to say he's top ten. I mean, he's not there where you know where Trevor is. He's not there where Justin is. Um, he's not there even where Zach Wilson is for BYU. I mean, Zach Wilson. I've watched him. I watched him play. And that's what I always try to tell people. Look, I watch Zach Wilson play, and I've watched Mac Jones play. And right now, it's not even close. Like, you know, it's not – I mean, the two quarterbacks, it's not even close. And that's just those two guys competing against each other if you're just looking at their tape and stuff. It's just like – look, Mac Jones is a good college quarterback. He'd probably be a good backup quarterback in the NFL. But he's not the guy that's going to go win you a Super Bowl. Now, if I'm wrong, I'll be the first guy to admit I'm wrong. But I just don't see it. Um you know, I think he has limitations because he's not very fast. He's not mobile at all. I don't see him having, you know, everybody says, oh, he's got good pocket presence. What pocket presence? He didn't have to do anything. He had the best offensive line in college football in front of him. He didn't have to do anything. What what pocket presence do you need to have? Only time I watched him play two pretty decent defensive lines that could give their offensive line some issues, he got hammered. Being blindsided a couple times, that tells me he right. doesn't have good pocket presence because Trevor Lawrence didn't have that kind of offensive line at Clemson. Trevor Lawrence had to know how to slide and move in the pocket his whole career there. Clemson's never had a dominant offensive line, right? And I think sometimes they put pocket presence on certain guys. Mm-hmm. They just say they're pocket presence guys, you know. And you know what I mean. Like yeah, a lot of times, mean? if you're a dual if you're a dual threat quarterback, you know what they say: all oh, athletic, blah blah blah. You know, probably doesn't spend as much time in the in, in the, the um, in the study room, blah blah blah. You know, they're tell they're saying, "Oh yeah, Matt Johnson has so much pocket presence." Really? Why? It, <laughs> I'm like, how many times this dude had to scramble? How many times? You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah. And I know that goes for the all team and, and kudos to Alabama for having the team they have. Mm-hmm. But I just hate when they put guys in this category and you don't know that answer to that question. You know? Yeah, like why? They assume if a guy doesn't if a guy doesn't run, that he doesn't have you know, if he runs, he doesn't have pocket presence. He's you right. ever notice that? Yeah. If a guy runs, you know, if he's a dual threat quarterback. If he runs out of the pocket, oh, he doesn't have presence. Mm-hmm. You know, if another guy stays in there and massages the ball, oh, he has pocket presence. You know why I like Joe Burrow so much, and I told people this? Because when you watched LSU, LSU had a horrible offensive line his senior year. Horrible. Right. They were horrible. And he would sit there, and he'd make plays that I'd be like, what is he, Fran Tarkenton? Is he Terry Bradshaw from the 70s? Because he just throw a guy off and he's still looking downfield and he's making these throws. Like, I'm like, that's that's the quarterback. That's the kind of stuff I look for. Can yeah. he make the throws on the outside, LeVon? Can he throw the ball outside the numbers? Because that's a key, right? That's yeah. how I judge a quarterback. Well, I mean, look at what Joe Burrow's done with Cincinnati. <laughs> that shows me everything you need because that <laughs> offensive line is like water. Exactly. And I'm not talking about deep water. I'm talking about salad water. Just run right through it. You know, they're like a water fountain. <laughs> you, just run, you just run right through those guys. And for him to be able to do what he did with Cincinnati shows you a lot. It'll be interesting. Somebody's going to fall for Matt Jones. I'm telling you, it, it's going to be ridiculous. Long, gonna, ain't the black and gold. <laughs> yeah, no, they're not going to do that. But it's going to be one of those teams is going to fall for Matt Jones. They're going to fall heavy for him. Now, I know we're talking draft here, and we're talking a little bit. We're mentioning this. I'll say this, man. If this happens, and they're talking about this guy's falling. Now, where he falls, and does Washington – Washington really wants him, and Washington even may move up to go get him. But Trey Lance, if Trey Lance falls into the top 20, right, if he's sitting there, Mm -hmm. you might see the Steelers make a move. I can see that. Because he's a guy that you got Ben, you can bring him in, and you got Ben for one more year, can kind of teach him the ropes because he needs that. He needs he's he can't be a starter right off the bat. He's the one guy of the five quarterbacks in this draft that can't be a starter right off the bat. And I think going in, going to Pittsburgh would be the best thing for Kim because he get behind a all pro, you know. Super Bowl winning quarterback, he can learn the ropes. And I know Ben would teach him because Ben would want to see the Steelers do well after he leaves. I think it would be a perfect situation. The guy's built just like Ben. He would, I think he would flourish in what the Steelers want to do offensively. If he's sitting there in the top 20, I can see the Steelers go make that move. In that situation, I can definitely see them making that move. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if that situation comes up, I can see them making that move. It would be a smart move because the quarterback touches the ball 100% of the time. And you, you need a trigger guy, mm-hmm. especially in this league, especially now. And I think the the league is going to more toward guys that normally back in the day wouldn't got a, got a chance, like a Cordell Stewart. They're going to that multiple guy, that guy who can do both, you know. And, you know, dual is just a cold name for running quarterbacks. I hate when they do that mm-hmm. <laughs> because I think, like, you need a quarterback that's dynamic. And I, I just hate the whole duel because it leans more to running than throwing the ball. I like dynamic People better. Put that label on guys that say, oh, he's a great runner before – you think runner before you think thrower of the ball. When right. somebody says dual threat quarterback, 
that's what you think. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, I like that move that you're saying, uh, but I really do like Travis. I, I think he's a steal in the draft. I think wherever he lands, he's going gonna, he's gonna to be a big steal. He really is. And uh, I, do you hear about Trevor, because he may not have a chip on his shoulder, I did hear this. I know where you're going. Like, where is that going? I'm like, I thought that was the most ridiculous argument I've ever heard. LeVon, he's not a good quarterback because he likes to play football. Because that's his motivation. He just likes to play football. I'm like, really? Did you just really say that? Did I just really hear you say that you worry because he doesn't, he's not motivated because he doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. He just likes to play the game. That worries you. I love it that a guy likes to play the game because that means he's passionate about what he wants to do. You know, he, 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 his, his thing is about coming in and playing the game and having fun. That's what you want. I mean. Right. I, I think sometimes we kind of buy into when guys like uh, Aaron Rodgers, you know, that's look, you know, doesn't get into like the 20th, you know, whatever pick he was that day. Or you get a Tom Brady who, you know, was drafted in the sixth round. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you get a Drew Brees. And, you know, all these guys talk about is the tip they have on their shoulders. So now people think that, oh, if you're not, a, you know, if you don't have a chip on your shoulder, therefore you're not a great quarterback. Peyton it's Manning. one of those philosophy questions you get on philosophy one-on-one. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Peyton Manning didn't have a chip on his shoulder. He yeah, did pretty good. first pick. That's why he had no chip on his shoulder. He knew he was going to go in there and just ball, you know. Trevor has that talent, you know, as long as you surround him. With some players, man, Trevor can Trevor can get it done. That that dude's a straight stud. Yeah, John Everybody's Elway. John no. Elway didn't have a chip on his shoulder. Hey, no, but John Elway was the freaking man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly. You don't have a chip on your shoulder if everybody recognizes your greatness. Exactly. That's how Trevor is, man. He's just yeah. like everybody you know, know. I don't need to have a chip on my shoulder. I just need to be great like I am. Dude, that guy goes in there and studies film like nobody's business. You already hearing the stories out of Jacksonville how he absorbs everything they're teaching him. And it's like, yeah, because the kid is not normal when it comes to football. His football IQ isn't normal. So he doesn't need to have a chip on his shoulder because you know what? He's just better than everybody else. But there was a lot of people who had chips on their shoulders, and guess what? They were garbage. <laughs> I had a chip on my shoulder. Like, I'm I just garbage. got a chip on my shoulder. They don't believe in me. There's a reason why they don't believe in me. So <laughs> – I mean, I played with a chip on my shoulder my whole life, and guess what? I never played pro ball anywhere. Chip on your shoulder does not – it is not – it doesn't equal you being an all-time great. Exactly. Just because you have a chip on your shoulder doesn't mean you're going to do anything. Right. Yeah. There are certain guys that when they do have a chip on their shoulder, it works for them. James Harris had a chip on his shoulder, but it took him about four times – to try to get it. So having a chip on your shoulder doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have success in a game like football. Right. So I thought it was a ridiculous type of argument mm-hmm. to have for a guy who's already projected that he was going to, you know, that he's going to be a first round. I think what sometimes we want to be the one to say we're different. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see holes in Trevor's game. Come on, really? <laughs> I'm not saying that because he went to Clemson. No, I'm not. I, I just think that he's a he's a. If I if I was playing, you know, NCAA, that'll be my guy. That'll be my template. 
six six. He can run. He can throw the ball. Yeah, that's that's my guy. Yeah, if I was I, picking out guys. That would be my guy. Yeah, because I remember when um, I didn't think that uh, Ryan Day ever said, you know, well, we're glad we're playing Clemson because you know they got Trevor Lawrence, so we ain't got to worry about that guy. I don't, I don't think I ever heard Ryan Day say that. Did you? No, I mean because it's a ridiculous argument. I mean because it's, it's a know, major ridiculous argument. To holes into yeah. something. Yeah, it's just like you it's said. It's based off your bias opinion. I mean, you're, you're just trying to be contrary. To be honest with you, exactly. sometimes it is what it is. Hey, he's a great player. Mm-hmm. You know, he's the first pick, no doubt about it. And hopefully, the team doesn't jack him up. <laughs> You know, you just hope Jacksonville do their job to develop him as a, a, a big time player. Yep, that's what you hope for. Um, yeah. You know, and 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 I, I like the situation of the quarterbacks going. I like, I don't, he, you know, he needs playmakers. He doesn't have the playmakers, but he's got the offensive line. Jacksonville's got right. a pretty good offensive line, way better than what Joe Burrow has at Cincinnati. And so that's going to benefit Trevor, I think. And it'll benefit Jacksonville because of that. Um, yeah. And the thing about Trevor I like, too, is Trevor can escape out of out of danger. That's the one thing I don't like about Mac Jones in this day and age. Because people are going to – I'm telling you, the defensive line is going to become more important, more important, more important, more important. They're going to emphasize pass rushers, guys getting at the – you're going to pass the ball, you might as well – got to get some guys who can rush the passer, some guys who can defend those outside guys. Mm-hmm. So when you have a quarterback who can't get out of situations in a passing league, I think is, I think you got problems. Mm-hmm. I no, do. I'm with you. Yeah, like I, I said, the thing that impresses me with a quarterback this day and age is their escapability, their ability to keep their eyes downfield. In other words, they're not just they aren't just taking off; they're breaking tackles and they're looking just keep the play alive. And um, and then the throws outside. They got to make throws outside. You got to make those outside throws because, you know, you got to the quick passing game is very important. So you got to make those outside throws. Um, that's how I judge a quarterback. And yeah. now Mac Jones can make the throw outside. He could do that, but he has no escapability at all. None. He he's a statue back there. And I just don't see the value for me in having a quarterback who can't maneuver, who can't get around people, who can't. And he doesn't like he doesn't like he break tackle either. He's not strong enough. He's not Joe Burrow strong, where he can just throw a guy off like Joe Burrow did, you know, um, when he was in college. He doesn't have that ability. Um, so there's just a lot more concerns with that, with him that I just I, don't I, see. I, I just I can't believe that's even top ten right now. That that blows my mind. Yeah, they're talking know. top ten. I mean, that, I'm, I'm, I'm just not blown. Scouting, so I don't know. <laughs> I think it's the recency bias. It's like, oh, my gosh, you know, they had the Heisman Trophy winner where the guy had to get him the ball for him to be a Heisman Trophy winner, and he won a national championship. Tua didn't even win a national championship there. You know, that's kind of their – that's the recency bias, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Um, you know, I mean, Tua was way better than Mac Jones. I just don't see it. I mean, it's not even close between Tua and Mac Jones. Not even close. Yeah, apparently Alabama didn't see it when Tua was there. <laughs> they they saw something too. <laughs> yeah, they 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 saw something. They 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 saw uh, Tua was way better. I mean, Matt Which, Jones was brought to Matt Jones was recruited to Alabama to be Tua's backup. That's what he was recruited for. It just happened Tua got hurt, ended up leaving because of the injury, and he didn't play a whole year. And Matt Jones got an opportunity. Give the kid credit; he took advantage of it. Right? 
give mm-hmm. him total credit for that. But he's also benefited from having that monster, nothing but five-star offensive lineman sitting in front of him. I mean, those maybe guys, he has some 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 dudes that can go up. He has some basketball players out there that can go get it. Man, and all he had to do is just throw them in the flat sometimes. Hey, I call them rebounders. I don't. I don't know if I'm going to call them receivers anymore. Guys like that, they're just rebounders. <laughs> like Mike Williams? <laughs> they're just rebounders, man. Forget receiver, they're rebounders. Yeah, Throw it up and let them go get it. Yeah, when you start knowing you what kind of players you have when um, on Hail Mary plays, all your wide receivers are sitting out there playing uh, positioning for rebounds. Because yeah. <laughs> that's what Mike Williams was doing a lot last year for the Chargers. He played. I think he played safety as much as he did wide receiver. Um, uh, Mike, Williams, hey, Mike Williams is a player, though. Oh, you Mike know, Williams is a dog, man. I, I love Mike you Williams. That, that yeah. guy can ball, man. Um, the plays he made in that national championship game. People so, think. Think people think about Deshaun, and they think about you know Hunter Renfro making the catch. But those couple catches Mike Williams made in that ooh, game, they were big. Oh my gosh, dude! You can't. I can't explain how huge they were. Just they didn't happen at the moment. That everybody remembers, but but I bet you plays, everybody was thinking that's where he was going, though. After, well, that <laughs> that's was a true. nice play that Clemson ran, but I bet you everybody was like, "Go to Mike Williams." <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Going? Oh, touchdown! Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Go to Mike Williams now. I guarantee everybody. I mean, Hunter was the one who caught the ball. No question about it. You know, I thought it was a great. I, I was thinking that game. You know, like. Why did Alabama just – I would have just switched, you know. I did the zone. Before on the goal line, and I told my guy, switch it. Listen, <laughs> why are you playing, okay, why are you playing man-to-man with six seconds to go? You know Clemson ain't going to run it. You know Dabba Sweeney don't want overtime. I mean, they had a timeout, and they could have used it. So, yeah, they could have ran the ball, but you know they weren't going to because you know Dabba Sweeney wanted to win it. I would have switched that thing. I would have played zone. I would have played. I would have played zone and said, "All right, you make a decision. You got six seconds. What are you going to do?" It would be between me and that other DB. I would have looked at him like, "Dude, let's switch this." <laughs> you know what route they're running? Let's switch it. But and you didn't know what route they're running. Clemson ran it several times in the course of the season. What's that? They did know what route Clemson's running because they ran it several times in the course of the season. That play was used. They used it at Florida State. When they needed it, they used it. Um, what they was the other game against one. Auburn? It was their go-to well, play. That goes to tell you what kind of what kind of play caller Tony Elliott is. Because I'm sure people know they're going to use it, but it's just when to use it. Yeah, I I, I, I had the privilege of coaching uh, Dwight uh, Feeney, Freeney, Dwight Freeney, and Dwight. Basic was like he he explained to me this is what he was as a pass rusher. He said I got two pitches, fastball and a curveball, and the curveball was his spin move. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm gonna throw you fastball after fastball after fastball. So you start thinking, oh, he's just throwing his fastball. And he said that's when I that's when I throw my curveball, and that's the spin move. Mm-hmm. So that that play, I think people knew, like, oh, we, we know, we know, we know. But do you really know? Yeah. You know, they had enough variety in their passing game that they might have had a clue, but they didn't really have a clue. Right. 
No, heck of a call by Dabo to go for it because he had six seconds to go. And the rule, what's the rule? If you're under seven seconds, you don't run a play because odds are you could use all six seconds. And so that's basically PlayStation Madden. Exactly. That's Madden rule. And you just know each play takes about six seconds to do. And so you've got to really execute this fast. They did it in five seconds because there was still one second left. Um, so it was, was a heck of a call. It was a heck of it a really call, was. man. Just gutty yeah. call. I couldn't believe it. I was stunned to this day. You know, I remember sitting in the press box and sitting next to uh, Phil Sykes, who worked for Clemson Sports Information. And um, I can't say what I exactly said because, you know, I know I could say because we're just a podcast, but I don't want to say it because it might be a kid listening. <laughs> so, yeah, the, uh, say what? I said, yeah, we always want to keep it clean. You want to keep it clean. So, the, uh, you know, the play calls, and, and I remember sitting there, and I looked over at Phil because, you know, Clemson ain't won the national championship in 35 years, right? So, you know, we're all waiting on it. And I look at him, and I was just quiet. We sat there while Clemson celebrated and everything. We both just sat there quiet. And finally, I looked over at him, and I said, Clemson just won the bleeping national championship. <laughs> and he looked at me and says, you're right, they did. And I said, you know what? I probably need to write that. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, I was in the stands. I was in the stands watching it. And it was a heck of a play, man. It really was. Uh, it, it was a joy to watch. And to see them coming back from being 14 down and to drive down the field on Alabama, who had an all-time defense. But I was saying this, and I played defense. I'm always like, I'd rather have an all-time offense than an all-time defense. Mm-hmm. Because the offense controls the ball, they score. It's rare that you score on defense. It really is. I mean, except for your 1990 team. Yeah, no, that no, that team scored a lot. We scored, we did score a lot of touchdowns. Y'all did. For whatever reason, it, it, it was it was a ridiculous man on that team. That that was kind of team that before we go, that was kind of team that as a teammate you had to fight for your tackles, like because you weren't going to get a lot of tackles and really. We didn't get a lot of sacks. Like, every guy probably got, like, five or six sacks. But there's a lot of guys who got five or six sacks. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. <laughs> you know, it was hard to make plays on that team, especially on the outside. Oh, my God. It's just hard to make plays. So nobody wanted to run outside because of me and John. So yeah. you really weren't getting any outside runs. So it was a scramble to make plays. That's a good defense. And that – no, that wasn't a good defense, dude. That was a great defense. Still the yeah, greatest. You have to fight for your tackles. That's a good, that's a good defense. Yeah. That's the greatest defense in Clemson history. <laughs> I will go to my grave making that argument. But, but it's not because you're my friend and I know you. And it's, it's long before I knew you, I thought that, man. Because those guys, oh. you guys were so talented. I mean, it was just unbelievable the speed you guys had. That's why nobody ran on the outside, dude. You guys were so fast. Uh. And, and then you're right. Not on the outside either, because of Chester. <laughs> because I, I mean, because I think Chester McLaughlin is probably the most talented defensive lineman that Clemson has. Now I think Malcolm Dean Perry is the greatest, mm-hmm. but talent-wise, Chester McLaughlin was could do whatever you want to. Then you had a guy named Vance Hammond who was six eight, who was no slouch at all. Six eight. Can you imagine that now? I mean, yeah. he's still a freak now at six eight. Right. That would still be a freak. And we had a guy named Doug Brewster. If it wasn't for Doug's, probably his weight or whatever, Doug Brewster could play in today's NFL. Mm-hmm. 
That's how good Doug Bruce was. Mm-hmm. So you had you had guys who were before their times, after their times. It was it was ridiculous. Ed McDaniel. Oh, yeah. And now, anytime everybody ever makes the the comparison between the recent defense, uh, especially like a guy like a Ben Boulware that I, I enjoyed Ben. I thought Ben was um, a good player, but I'm like Ben Boulware. Compared to Ed McDaniels, there's no comparison. It's not. <laughs> there is no, no comparison. I'm with you. I love Ben, man. I love Ben's and attitude. The thing I love was, you never, had to bl- you never had to blitz Ed McDaniels that much. Mm-mm. Ed McDaniels was making plays, just reading. <laughs> you didn't have to blitz him. Can you imagine we blitz as much as they blitz now? Can you imagine? Oh, my God. Oh my gosh, dude! We would have had ninety sacks. We would have had ninety sacks, dude. It would have been uh, quarterbacks would have been be carried off the field. Oh yeah, I mean, we would uh, have be been off the field. It would have been ridiculous. I mean, so luckily for them, they didn't th- they didn't throw the ball as much. <laughs> yeah, I remember when that one team who did try to throw it a lot though, Illinois came in and they thought they were going to be able to throw the ball all over the park against you guys. They and, thought that. Oh yeah, we yeah yeah that was. Yeah, we Jason had to like or whatever, Verdurso, or whatever his name was. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Hey, Levon, it was fun, man. Appreciate you, buddy. Um, everybody, check out the podcast. We're glad to be back up and running again. Uh, had, had to take a little break because we both were just swamped, um, but we're back and going. So uh, check us out next time. And here with the Inside Clemson Football with Levon Kirkland. Levon, I'll see you, man. All right, bro. I'll be good. All right, buddy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.